You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. If Professor Moriarty feeds you crumpets on the holodeck, are they real? Alan Seiler. It is green. And Veronica Daschle. Hi. And we're joined by a special guest this week. Nick Wright is joining us. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, hey, thanks for thanks for having me. Appreciated uh, the the invite, and yeah, I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, so I've been want, wanting to invite you for quite a while, and opportunity finally. Mm-hmm. I mean, because usually we're doing episode reviews every damn week, and finally yeah. we have a little break in episodes, and we're able to do other things. And it's great to be able to have the opportunity to have you on. Yeah, mm-hmm. such hardship having a new Star Trek episode. Oh my god! If only time be more considerate <laughs> and put out less yeah. content. Sometimes two yeah, in a week worse to put upon. We were used to like a decade or so between series. So. Right. right. <laughs> Nick, it was either you or we could discuss something really original, like the Naked Time or the Corbinite maneuvers. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever talked about that before. No, right. no, never. <laughs> So, Nick, I first met you on Trek Track at Dragon Con, mm-hmm. and we have done a couple of panels together. And yes. so tell, tell us a little bit about how you got your Star Trek start. Where, what's your Star Trek origin story? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like a lot of people, uh, you know, I was a kid in the 90s. I got into Star Trek when a family friend showed us the TOS movies. And I especially, like, I think it was the part where Kirk's on Ruripenthe and he has that fight with the alien guy and, like, kicks him in the knees. And <laughs> he's like, man, that, that thing had knees. And then she's like, Captain, not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place. <laughs> right. Wow. So, like, I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. <laughs> like, oh, this is fun, but it's also something that you can, you know, it's a serious show. It's like, you know, you have to think about it, too. So I was like, I, you know, I caught a, a random episode of Next Gen playing, and it happened to be Rascals, which is the one where they're all yeah. turned into little petulant children. And mm-hmm. I was wow. a petulant child at the time. So I was like, man, <laughs> this is my jam. <laughs> I totally identify with this. Yeah. I tell you, you are a true fan because your entrees in the track are kind of odd to me. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking Ballots of Terror, you know, oh, something no. like that. Rascals, man. That's the jam. <laughs> right on. It's, it's right Kirk kicks somebody in the nuts and Rascals. Yeah, Kirk kicks somebody in the nuts and then they turn into kids. And I'm sold, man. This is great. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So, like, I started watching the show, and they were running reruns at the time, and, like, I didn't have a a VCR uh, that I could program or anything, so I was, like, watching it on this little 13-inch black-and-white TV in my room, (laughs) and it would come on after the news at night uh, on this channel that I got half the time, so I'd, like, wait. It was at 1035 and I would stay up until 1135. And that's why I was late for school every day. Mrs. Sanders. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was, uh, I enjoyed, I watched it back and forth. Like I got in, I think I in like the you know, fifth season, sixth season, something like that. And just kind of, they played it in order, thankfully. So I was able to watch every episode, which is, that's the way you had to do it. If you missed a night, missed a night. Oh, well, you got to wait and you know, a couple more years before it comes back around again. Yeah. Um, mm. So it was cool. But yeah, uh, yeah. 
TNG, your series, right? That was your entree series. Yeah, TNG was was really my intro there. Yeah, like mm. I, you know, like I said, I saw I saw the TOS movies, which were pretty cool, but I never, mm. I still haven't, uh, you know, really given TOS the attention that I should. Uh, but I've seen every other every other series many times over. How did you get wrapped up in Trek Track? So I was, uh, I've been working with uh, Leo, uh, who is the, um, he's the assistant Trek director, uh, obviously Garrett Wong, uh, Kim, he's, he's our Trek director. So yep. all of us are assistants to the assistant Trek director. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've been working with him. We'd, we'd worked on a show called That Sci-Fi Guy. We were, we actually were uh, roommates um, back in the day and got to know each other real well and became good friends. And we oh, worked cool. on a few different um, a few different shows, uh, a few different projects creatively. And he knew that I was good for stuff like that. So uh, when he started working in Trek Track, um, we started to do the uh, event descriptions. And, he, you know, I'm a pretty I'm a decent writer. That's kind of my shtick. So he ca- he called on me to help out with that a lot. So I got to do some cool stuff like uh, there's one where we had William Shatner one year and I got to write the description. And I don't know if either Shatner never saw this, which is more likely right. or he saw this and he approved of it. But I was like, uh, you know, uh, the sh- uh, true act- mere actors come and go, but the shat is everlasting. That was oh, the last line on that one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to take that as tacit approval that Shatner liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so yeah, I, I did a few of those and, uh, you know, it just kept on coming back year and year. We would get on the phone with uh, with Garrett and we'd just run through and, and do all the descriptions, uh, which leads me to um, a sort of embarrassing story about me uh, that involves Veronica. Because <laughs> <laughs> Veronica and I actually... We have some mutual friends and we were uh, together at a wedding one year and uh, we were sitting at the same table and uh, we started talking about like Star Trek and everything. It's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I help write these, the Trek descriptions at Dragon Con. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, I do felt, felt nerdy. And it's like, oh, yeah, I think I, I think I wrote that Trek description. And you're just like, oh, your face just like, no. <laughs> apparently I did a terrible job writing that description. So I apologize for that. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> we didn't have much to go on. I was like, ah, cool. It's a puppet show. Let me see what I can do. And I was like, I put a little joking joke in there. I was like, cool. This is great. I think it's awesome. And everybody's like, yeah, that's cool. And then I met her and it's like, oh, I have done something wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have no memory of that. I'm glad. I'm so glad you don't. That's not surprising if you listen to us. That's not surprising at all. <laughs> I'm so glad you don't remember that. That's the great thing about me. It's like, I remember every embarrassing thing I ever did, but thankfully most other people don't. Right. That's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, I know this is a tough question, but what is your favorite Trek series? So, yeah, I would say I have a, a kind of a twofold answer for that. I acknowledge that the best Trek series is DS9, but my Correct. favorite is Voyager. Correct. Wait, wait, your <laughs> favorite is Voyager? The best, the best series is DS9. My favorite is Voyager. Just wow. I like, we'll it's just a that. fun romp. Yeah. And, but obviously, DS9, well-constructed. They started to really experiment with the serialized storytelling. Cisco's yeah. a great captain. Like... You know, they were really able to to find their their own bearing after you know after Roddenberry passed, and they were able to have a little bit more control over it. And after you know, Rick Berman went to start working on Voyager, which <laughs> I just I just said that was my favorite, but I do have some problems with Berman. <laughs> um, but and that's obviously not not counting any of the currently running ones because you know we have to wait until they're completed before I feel like you can really put them on the pantheon. That's a good point. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, and- Oh, go ahead, Keith. So, so real quickly, it was funny. Uh, a friend of the show, Matt Sweatman, we were just talking about uh, fa- on Facebook about Voyager. And one of the things we were talking about, how it's kind of sort of kind of bland because it kind of feels like TNG, that it, it feels like it didn't live up to its potential. And that's not a criticism because mm-hmm. I actually like it. So what is it you like about Voyager? Because there's tons of people who love Voyager. 
Yeah. That's something about that cast really clicked for me. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I obviously I grew up on TNG. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first time when I was watching DS9 as it was coming on the air, I kind of lost track of it in like season one or season two. Yeah. So I was like, oh man, what's all this Bajoran religious politics? This is terrible. I don't know. And then I got on. <laughs> and then like when, when Voyager came back, I was like, yeah, this is better. I love this. <laughs> but then years later, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. DS9 was great. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. <laughs> now I'm into the, I'm into the religious just politics stuff like now i yeah. now i'm like yeah this is the world's terrible so uh <laughs> <laughs> and and voyager is really your favorite because of your track director right uh no yeah i mean actually so i'll tell you the truth like i actually have a signed picture of him from back before i was working with trek track like yeah i snuck into walk of fame one day and like i managed to get a couple of signatures but it's not on the wall right now because it fell down it's like it normally it hangs <laughs> underneath underneath uh data and wharf over there <laughs> nice. but i was like also like he's kind of my boss now and it's kind of weird to have a framed signed picture of your boss <laughs> on, the, on the wall so maybe maybe it doesn't have to come back up anytime soon that's fine I can, I can sit there. <laughs> okay i've got one last question for you and i don't think we've ever asked this of any of our other guests so Ooh. this is a first oh. what's your favorite or favorites star trek uniform Ooh. Oh, that's very good. Um, I think uh, just the classiness of the gray shoulders, late uh, DS9 first yep. contact uniform. That's got to be it for me. I mean, yep. I really I, I'm a big fan of uh, the, you know, the TNG regular uh, uniform and even the colored shoulder one. But yeah, something about that jacket's like patterns textured. Yeah. And it fits over there and you can still see the the rank can still be seen clearly. And you've got the, the turtleneck, which I don't normally like turtlenecks, but it really works in that situation. Yeah. So that, that's my favorite, I think, of all of them. Man, I agree. That's that's my favorite, too. Yeah. I've got some other favorite. What, this is why we get along on panels. Right, I'm telling you. <laughs> and those uniforms. Uniform. It's funny because it's a tie between those, the ones of, that you said of DS9 and, and that, because they also they also represented a change in the show. The show was darker at that time. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the other ones I absolutely love is, frankly, the ones from Enterprise. Yep. Because that's they are the favorite. most. Okay. Yeah, so they are the most it? realistic space uniforms in Star Trek. Yeah. They have pockets. Okay. I mean, I hate to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. They look right. Yeah. You could go work in a sewer in that one and you wouldn't look out of place. <laughs> yeah. A space <laughs> sewer <laughs> in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the lower deck uniforms. Okay. Yeah, like they're great. good in cartoons and in real life. That's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, what do you think about how they brought them over to Strange New Worlds? Do you think that, that they did amazing. a good job with that? Yeah, yeah, yes. I think they were awesome. Because yeah. <laughs> yes. everybody's been making the fan made ones that were, you know, trying their best to look like the animated yep. version. But when they put them in the Strange New Worlds, like, oh, that's how it's done. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you like, Charles' uniforms? Oh, I'll go season one TOS. Of course you will. Yeah. Uh, with the, with the long, those are great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like the season one is also good. The, the the gold, the season one gold, not the season three gold. But then yeah. with those um <laughs> those black pants with a little flare at the leg and mm -hmm. uh, the black collar, just great action adventure outfits. They just look. They just really pop. Yeah. And the colors of them really pop. Plus, they're very easy to make for puppets. Ah, true. <laughs> I would say very easy, but easier. Easier, right? <laughs> they, nice. they left skirts in season one, like the the male like dress uniform, like yeah. skirt uniform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they 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 were like, yeah, we're gonna bring it back. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I own one of those, and it's very good on like hot nights uh, in the middle of September. So it's great. <laughs> true. Okay. 
Have you ever worn that at Trek Track? I wear it at the dance only, like oh, okay. at, the, at the 10 forward party. That's the place for that. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't see myself like doing my normal like duties in the track room all day with the scored on. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a party time one. <laughs> right, man. I don't blame you. Okay. So you brought a topic for us to discuss. Yes. And tell us uh, what the topic is that you selected and why you picked it. Sure. So one thing I tend to think about a lot is the mechanics and the origin and how just how it works, food replicators. So we've got a few different eras that we can think about, like, you know, you had the early synthesizers that were in Enterprise. Um, you had the great uh, comment during that Q&A session where, like, uh, somebody asked, what happens to your poop? And, like, you know, uh, Archer's like, Trip, I think you should take this. I'm like, really, Captain? <laughs> the poop question? <laughs> but then he tells us that they get turned into boots. And I'm like, well, I guess they're not making poop into food yet. No, that wouldn't come later. That wouldn't come until discovery. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do wonder, I, I think a lot about like, you know, how are they, how do they work? Like, do you have, uh, you know, a specific recipe that you put in there and like, okay, well, this was, this is a, a burger that you got at McDonald's, but it was a burger at McDonald's specifically on start a five zero one two two point three. And like, that's the only version, like every piece of food in there, is it the same every time you replicate it? And maybe that's why certain characters say that they don't like replicated food. Yeah. They're just having it this exact same every time. And they're like ready to move on. So if you think about it, like you can make, you know, if you make a ham sandwich at home, you're going to, that's going to be different every single time you make it. But if you get it out of the replicator, it might be exactly the same. That's interesting um, that you say that too. And especially interesting that you use the McDonald's uh, example, because <laughs> McDonald's pretty much churns out exactly the same thing yeah. every time. No. They must have a replicator in the back. <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's, the, that's no. the goal. This came up that's on their goal. But anniversary episode that's not out yet, but yeah, specifically with McDonald's as an example. Yeah. So that's funny. That is funny. So yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering like, you know, they don't really, they're really kind of sketchy about it. So there's a lot of areas that you're just as a fan, you're just left to fill in the details of like, what's the raw materials right. look like? You know, these are, if you're making, breaking it down at a molecular level, surely you can have, you know, Joseph Sisko's jambalaya will be perfect every time. Right. And I do wonder like, you know, is it just a narrative, uh, a narrative tool that they have certain characters don't like the replicated food? Um, is the, the food that they eat on the ship, uh, you know, like for example, in an enterprise, they had meat, they would eat meat. And I'm like, how close was that to the meat that we have now? Is that like, mm -hmm. is that cloned meat? Cause we can do cloned meat now. Or did they have big vats of it downstairs? And like the chef would just have to send somebody to go down to get the new you know, meat pile. <laughs> oh, God, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> I know. As a vegan, I, I think about these things and like, cause there's always the questions is replicated food vegan? Well, I mean, it's, yeah. they don't have cows and chickens running around the starship. So, you know, it's not made from animals one way or yeah. another. I mean, I mean you, it, you go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Go, uh, I think you make a very good point about the evolution of replication because uh, in Enterprise, which is of course is a newer show than the original series, they tried to be retro, and they originally talked about protein resequencers. They didn't talk about specifically replicators. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think by the time of TNG, you might think of, we may think of replicators as kind of sort of like transporters, where they're doing matter to energy conversion. We don't know. And in the original series, there's a famous episode, Charlie X, where Kirk says the Earth Day is Thanksgiving. The crew has to eat synthetic meatloaf. I want it to look like turkey. And later on, there's a whole thing where Charlie X has these powers and this the dude who's supposed to be chef. It's actually Gene Roddenberry. He's blurting out that there's turkeys in the in the 
in the kitchen, real turkeys. Um, <laughs> and just, and yeah, it's really cool. Enterprise always got the idea that that was real food, whether it was grown meat or not, because they made a big deal when they would when they had some Vulcan guests on Enterprise. They made a big deal mm-hmm. of talking about it was actual steak. It was those Vulcans mm-hmm. who didn't who are they didn't subscribe to logic. And Trip Tucker with his famous pecan pie. They always made it seem like it was real pecan. So I think it evolved over the years. It seems like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, technically, and- um, if if replicated food is made out of human waste, then all of it is non-vegan. Well, I mean, human waste is donated with consent, right? That's the thing about veganism is animals can't consent. So if it's donated with consent, wow. I mean, cannibalism can be vegan. <laughs> if, <laughs> well, if it's consensually given. And, and see, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Nick. If if by the time of TNG, if you're taking human waste and you are using something like the transporter to molecular, molecularly change it, it mm. can be vegan because you can literally change protein molecules into yeah. vegetable. And so it really is matter energy conversion, possibly, mm. if that's what they're doing. Here's something I have never thought about before. Since we're talking about poop, if you eat a hamburger and then you poop and then you eat a replicated hamburger, how does that affect your poop? Mm. <laughs> do, you, do you poop different stuff? Okay. Can, can a second generation poop be as usable for food stock as a first generation poop? We'll say here's the thing. I've, <laughs> the I've nutrients I've, came I've, out of it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like while you're programming these items, why would you not stop and make them healthier? Why would you not stop and right. add more fiber so that maybe your replicated burger poop is better than the, the regular burger poop. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Point. I have two thoughts. My first thought is I can't wait to see what Charles is going to use to post the post this show. <laughs> <he's gonna> select. <laughs> and the other one, I think it goes back to again is what is the replicated food? If it's, yep. if it's true meat, that's just been yeah. produced through the replication system. It's going to be just like regular meat you eat. It might be yeah. like extra lean beef. If it's some kind of weird vegetable matter, like that, that synthahol, which is kind of like alcohol, but not, yeah. it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was- you would think to a replicator, you could say, you know, I'll have a chili cheese, slaw dog and onion rings, 120 calories total. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 True. Mm-hmm. So, Here's another thing that I was thinking about when we were preparing for this episode. And by prepare, I am using big air quotes because I didn't prepare that much. But I was wondering if now the way that since the hall is described or th- that I've seen it described is that it's uh, it's alcohol that doesn't have a lasting effect. You mm-hmm. can you can get buzzed off of it, but you can will away the effects of it. So I'm just wondering if you eat a huge synthesis or uh, a replicated meal can you just mm. will away the, f- the the calories can you mm. you know can you will away the feeling of being full mm. so can you eat as much as you want and just stuff your face and then 10 minutes later there's no lasting effect of it i, I mean Troy ate a lot of chocolate so yeah, yeah but you know true. but there was actually i think it's but you remember there was one episode where troy basically told the replicator I don't want whatever chocolate. She said something like, I don't want synthesized chocolate uh, sundae. She wanted a real chocolate sundae as if she was emphasizing, I want the fat, I want the sugar, I want the unhealthy Mm. stuff. And so I tend to think like what you were saying earlier, Nick, that I think that by default, if you order a shake or ice cream or a burger, it's probably kind of sort of healthy. 
I bet they cut the calories and the fat. And then if you tell it, look, like you said, Charles, I want a cheese dog, chili cheese dog. I want a real one. And don't hold the calories and don't hold the fat. I think it's absolutely capable of giving you something that's horribly bad for you. Do you have to do like safety protocols, like on a holiday? Yeah, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you, you do. Code in. <laughs> nice. Computer I think you might have to. Safety protocols. Uh, yeah, nice. it looks like you might have to. And I bet that came in place somewhere between Kirk's time and Picard's time. Because in Kirk's time, like when they're drinking booze and stuff, it's the real deal. You don't ever, yeah. when they want to have something real, it's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Another thing about this topic that I always have loved, and that is on Voyager, where you have to save replicator rations and everything is at a premium and you have Mm -hmm. to find foodstuffs and Neelix has to cook meals and he has to cook Mm -hmm. meals for the crew. And that was something that I that was a detail that I always really loved about Voyager. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that Voyager a lot of times didn't do enough to kind of emphasize the fact that this is a ship that's completely cut off from its source, that it's lost. It has to fend for itself. It has to collect supplies. The one thing that they did do really well with that was the food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that because you're right with the replicator rations because you think about it, as you say, there's 70,000 light years from Earth when they start. And they have no guarantee that they're going to have energy to do everything. And, you know, replicators yeah. take energy. And, heck, for that matter, those sonic showers they're having in the future should. You're right. And the, the running joke became Neelix made everything with Leola root. Yeah. It's like the, <laughs> the running thing. But, uh, hey, and Veronica, you know who the greatest cook was in um, Voyager? Paris. No, it was Tubix. Oh, God. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. Oh, Leola Root sticker. Leola, wow, I've never <laughs> seen one. <laughs> wow, you have a Leola Root sticker. You win. Yeah, well, along with Neelix's hat. So, like, oh, <laughs> I backed the Voyager documentary and I got that. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Nick, I was messing with Veronica because the Tubix thing, every now and then it comes up, and we'll have that little yeah. debate. And I was saying, you know, Tubix is evidently the greatest cook in the history of Voyager because everybody <laughs> loved Tubix's food. That's yeah. everybody. Then they killed him. <laughs> but we have to make a conscious effort not to get on the Tubix route. So, <laughs> We'll here so, someone mentioned earlier that you know you could program a replicator to just recreate like Joseph Sisko's mm-hmm. uh, jambalaya, but I bet Joseph Sisko would taste it and like, spit it that's out. Not it. You know, yeah. like no, it's mm-hmm. way off. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I'm wondering, like, if you're eating a hamburger you got at a Starbase or something, could you just like mm-hmm. tricorder it? And be like, I want this exact hamburger. Yeah, can save you scan the pattern. It and- yeah. Oh, and is cool. there like an open source community of people that are doing different oh, recipes? Yeah. Like this is my take on tiramisu versus the one that's already <laughs> replicated in there. Mm-hmm. Now, I want, now I want varies. funny boy 29's tiramisu. That's the best tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> and on Chuck's question, I've always wondered about that. When you're doing a replicated anything, leg of lamb, hamburger, a salad, whatever, you can you can see that it would replicate the the taste. What about the texture? Does it mm. feel like you're eating a hamburger, or does it feel like lettuce crunching in your teeth? Mm. You know. And when you're talking about Cisco's jambalaya, that's a very specific thing, and Cisco has a very specific idea of what it should taste like and feel like. And how mm. close can a replicator get to that? Well, it, it, essentially, a replicator works the way a transporter does. Like, yeah, you can beam true. up a cheeseburger, but only this is a stored pattern that you just beam down yeah. every time, and you don't have to beam it up to, to begin with. So I would think it would be, to you or I, just like a hamburger. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, like we, like you said, we, we've seen people throughout Star Trek who prefer non-replicated food. 
Yeah. Um, but that could also be, I mean, on where are they starting from with these? Like yeah. if, if there's only, I mean, here, like here on earth, we have, there's a million different recipes for hamburger. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, it could Absolutely. just be that, you know, people don't like the ones that are in the, in the system or who's picking them, or it could be that in making them healthier, they're altering the taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. But you know, we've also seen examples in various series of people who talk about tweaking the programming to get mm-hmm. a recipe just right, to get something right. to taste the way that they want it to taste. Yeah. So, and I, it seems like Tom Paris was doing that. I don't remember specifically, but that's what, that's the face that comes to my mind, but that's an interesting point too, where it, it's, it, it is just a, a pattern of a program mm-hmm. that's stored in the system, but it's editable. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, I remember a couple of months ago, I watched this. I read, I was, uh, read this Facebook thread that went on for a surprisingly long time. And someone asked on Facebook, what food tastes better when it's slightly burnt? Mm. And there was everything like pizza and bacon yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And to what we're all talking about, I'm sure if you order a pizza from a replicator and they think this is the best pizza, it's probably not going to be burnt. But, mm. you know, sometimes <laughs> the best pizza is burnt. And just so that's why because like true. you say. And on, again, on Voyager, Janeway was always babbling about, she was like, I slaved over a replicator all day long for this yeah. meal. You know, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but like you said, she's probably adjusting salt content and texture yeah. and whether it's rare or medium well and something like that. So I think this, like Chuck said earlier, I think there's going to be a generic hamburger in the database. Mm. Yeah. And it may not taste like, you know, for all you know, it tastes like a White Castle burger. You want a Whataburger. That's a Texas <laughs> yeah. thing. And, yep. and then you got to tweak it. No, we have them here now. No, it's a Georgia yeah. thing. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. we have Whataburgers now. Yeah. yeah, that's right. One other thing I was going to say real quick, Chuck, on the comment about Benjamin Siskel's jambalaya. I think there's two things there, too, possibly. Is it made out of real shrimp, real meat? And the other thing is, knowing, uh, not Benjamin, his dad, Knowing his dad, if you told him it was replicated, I kind of wonder if he was like, this, su- this sucks, even if it tastes fantastic. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. right. And true. you know he would. Yes. You yes. know he would yeah. just be insulted 100%. by having to eat. Yes. Yeah. So, like, Riker at some point, I believe, was the one that made this uh, comment about we no longer enslave animals for food purposes. But then you, <laughs> right. see, you see Cisco, when he goes home, he's shucking oysters. It's like, I mean, is it okay to go wild catch the oysters or were those replicated in the shell and then you still have to shuck them? (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. I'd never thought about that before. Yeah. And O'Brien in one episode in TNG was telling Keiko how his mom served meat and Keiko was freaking out. She's like, your mom touched real meat and she cut it with her hands. And he was like, yeah, like a master chef. And then he said he was going to make her some real meat. And she was kind of freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) But she liked it, though, didn't she? <laughs> Just like the first time Hank Hill tastes the hamburger cooked over charcoal, charcoal. instead of propane. <laughs> and and Bobby is like, Mom, what is that? And she says, that, Bobby, is flavor. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a point, though, because maybe one thing that's hard to replicate is the environmental conditions that yeah. Yeah. prepared it. It's intangible. I mean, yeah. like I mean, going yeah. to you know a, a, a crappy diner in the middle of the night there's imperfections that make their way into the food that affect the taste. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so one of the things is like when the cooks that are actually making it, like, you know, I, this may be a little gross, but skin flakes will come off, you know, like there's, there's part <laughs> of like what comes off of your body while you're making it, no matter how many times you wash your hands, there right. are intangibles that are going to get in. And yeah. sometimes yeah. that makes a nice flavor. Yeah. Like, or or the, a, a Back to that cannibalism. For years. Uh, yeah. 
Or like the whole the whole story the New Yorkers will say is their pizza tastes better because of the New York water. That's actually yes. the first ingredient mm-hmm. for the pizza dough. And that makes it taste mm-hmm. better than Detroit pizza or whatever other kind of pizza. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, they got this soft water up there. There's a, a place in Alabama that actually like trucks its water down from New York so that they can make classic New York pizza. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they go to the lake. That wow, so that cool. has to be expensive pizza, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, now see, then so that's when I need a replicator business. I could be replicating that water in my backyard and yeah. charging them right? a water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh wow. my gosh, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of think I, I kind of think that. Um, like I think the, Charles brought up the hamburger. That's probably the best example. I kind of think there's probably two options. The hamburger is either something completely healthy, like an Impossible Burger, and it might be 100% non-meat, just supposed to taste like it, or Kirk talking about the synthetic meatloaf, or it's real meat, but as you say, it's just a real generic meat that's also yeah. very healthy. And then you're like, hey, this thing sucks. I need some salt in it. I need, you know, like they may mm-hmm. serve you the equivalent of 70% fat and you want 95% fat or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They take all the cholesterol out and they'll probably put in like potassium chloride instead of salt. So that you yeah. still kind of, it tastes salty, but is there something weird about it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to make something a lot healthier. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause even in like, uh, I mean, even as a Picard, I mean, there's still the 25th century and like Picard's vineyard is still producing wine that's yeah. made with grapes yeah, um, yep. and, I mean, replicators are very well established by that point. You would think that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I, I, I guess there's just, you know, an actual bottle. I, you're not going to replicate a bottle of wine and then keep it on a shelf for X <laughs> years. You know, right. I, I, I would guess that that's, you know, mm-hmm. I and wonder certain it, things that go into the aging of alcohol. So. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder yeah, if yeah. you can. Have, have we ever heard someone order alcohol like aged? From a replicator? Yeah. Give me a 50 year vintage right, right. now. <laughs> just straight out the replicator. <laughs> Yeah. No, because I can't think of an example of that. Every yeah. time they drink alcohols or spirits that we think are real, somebody's always babbling about they had a bottle they've been saving. But mm-hmm. everything out of the system is always synthahol. It's I think I don't remember anybody say replicating Romulan ale. You know, like McCoy said, he had somebody flying it in across the neutral zone. Um, Picard is always keeping a bottle of something hidden somewhere. Yeah, Data had to take Scotty down to the bar and like look at the, you know, <laughs> Radio right. yes. stash for the green stuff. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the It's Green comment, Nick? Oh, it is green. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with that from the original series? Oh, no. Uh, I guess that was a, was that a callback when they did it in the next yeah. year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did hear about yeah. that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, Matt, when the Scotty is doing it, and he's in his cups by then, and he literally does something corny. Like he kind of blows on it, like it's got dust on it. It's so old, <laughs> even <laughs> though it's on a starship. But <laughs> yeah. that was the thing there is every time they had something to drink, you, you always got the impression that they were, they had bottles of it somewhere that they hoarded. Um, mm-hmm. And that makes a, a raised point you made raised earlier, Charles, is, it sent the hall by the time of TNG. If some low length ranking ensign at the end of the day goes to Repka and says, look, I want a stiff whiskey and I want a real one. I wonder if like his supervisor has a sign off on it. Can you order real alcohol in the middle of the day from a replicator? Like the one that'll get you drunk. Is that, is, oh, is that yeah. even possible? Right. If you're, if you're on shift, I'm sure you're like locked out of certain options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we get saw it. on lower decks that, even there's, you know, rank has its privileges that you get better replicator accesses <laughs> as you advance in the rank. You know, right. that they can get food from the officer's replicator that you couldn't get from a lower decker replicator. Yeah, there's that's like a true. different uh, selection that you had access to. So that's right. interesting. 
There's, there's these artificial scarcities. That is so tacky. <laughs> Why would you do that? Right. And there's you gotta there have something. Four, you're not gonna get more money. <laughs> there's a replicator in that lower decks episode. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Using yeah, that, from that aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that access for aliens. There was a I saw a discussion about um and it made sense it came up was why would you go to Quarks for food? Yes. And you have replimats on the station. So why would you go to Quarks? And some people would say, well, does Quarks serve real food mm-hmm. that's not replicated? Or somebody yeah. else made a very good point, which is maybe Quark has access to more replicated food programs than right. others. Like he has a bigger database. Yeah. So he yeah. can get sure the case. extra stuff. Well, yeah. Quark also imports things. Yeah. Yes. So I would think that yeah. Quark would have maybe a variety of selections that aren't offered by the replicated yeah. system. But also you would so. go to Quarks for the atmosphere. That's what yeah, I was going to say. For the socialization, for the fun, for the, you know, but also, I'm sorry, you just have to have fresh, you have to have real, you cannot have replicated yamak sauce. I'm just, just. (laughs) (laughs) Or jom jom sticks, whatever the heck those things are. (laughs) I'm going to trade my stem bolts for that. It's got to be real. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, that's a very good point, because I was actually going to ask you all a question is, do you think in real world and sometimes you have, well, no, you can't say Western world or whatever in the world world 200 years from now, if replicated food is an option, do you think most people would just accept replicated food and not even worry about cooking from scratch anymore? Because it's happening to a certain extent now. Think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think just like we had TV dinners in the you know 60s or whatever, yeah. like you know people mm-hmm. started to really just rely on prepared packaged food. And if you do that, you're going to have uh, you know if you have the option to Sorry, prepare that was... and package anything, then why not just live mm-hmm. on that? I had an idea. Let's take a quick commercial break. That was supposed to be. I know we're going to talk nonstop about replicated food. (laughs) Well, Alan hits me. That was supposed to go in the private chat, not in (laughs) flipping comments. And then you put it up on the main screen. I know. I was trying to delete it. Does anybody else see that? Or I think it's time for a break. Oh my gosh. Okay, not so right back after this commercial. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're inviting you to join us as we delve into the dawn of the DC. We'll be reviewing new titles such as The Unstoppable Doom Patrol, Shazam, Green Lantern, Titans, Justice Society of America, and more. We'll also be reviewing DC Television's final season of The Flash, Titans, and Doom Patrol. Join us every week on the Earth Station DCU Podcast, part of the ESO Network. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> Yay! So part two should be talking about where we think it could potentially go from what we have right now, because there's a lot of stuff going on already with people um, attempting to print meat and attempting to mm. make it have the right texture. Mm. And and I listened to a podcast about that. Not recently, but recently-ish. Mm-hmm. In the last year, but of course, being me, if I had listened to it yesterday, I wouldn't remember it. But it was really interesting um, about like basically 3D printing food, which is basically replicated food. Yeah, it really is. 
Yeah, it's like a precursor to it. I mm-hmm. hate though on Star Trek when they just use an actual 3D printer <laughs> yes. as a replicator, like no one can tell. <laughs> that drives me nuts. But yeah, I mean, I think if, if we had the option, like if you could, th- if if we had a 3D printer in our kitchen and we could 3D print a steak, yes. and it actually tasted like a steak, I would yeah. choose to do that. If over... it tasted close enough to a steak, I would just do that over cooking, right? Every right. time, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but you think. If it didn't, I would prefer to have an actual steak. Right. Yeah. And then the people who really care about cooking are the people who are only are going to be doing the cooking. Like, you know, right. Joseph Cisco runs a restaurant because he likes to cook. He likes the way that the food tastes when he make, he prepares it that way. It's been in his family for a long time. Riker likes to make terrible eggs because that's what he wants to have. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even know the difference between uh, scrambled eggs and omelets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he can so, make pizza. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah like, I only learned how. <laughs> yeah. So like you were okay. saying earlier, Veronica, too, then therefore in the future, 200 years from now, we would probably mostly be a replicated food society because people probably wouldn't want to cook. Uh, I'm completely and totally positive of that. I mean, yeah. look at the number of people that are um, using DoorDash and Uber Eats and all that kind of stuff, especially since the pandemic. Everyone's like, oh, hey, look at this convenient thing. I don't even have to leave my house and get food. I mean, they're they're already doing something like that. If they could almost literally do the same thing in there and they don't even have to do anything on an app or talk to anyone ever, don't even have to communicate <laughs> at the door. Heck yeah. I would have to lock myself out of the replicator if there's no safety protocol on that thing. <laughs> yeah. have, because that's too tempting. I mean, I can't walk to the kitchen it. If I get up at 2 a.m. and there's anything on the counter, I'm going to try it. Or in yeah. the fridge, I'm having a taste. You know, like I, I couldn't walk past a replicator at 2 a.m. and not <laughs> end up eating something. Right. And you have unlimited energy in the future because it's fusion or antimatter power. So you wouldn't have any kind of weird um, prescriptions against using it. Yeah. And then you have to worry about your your spouse or partner locking you out of the replicator. Soggy <laughs> <laughs> in the middle, you know, putting some replicator <laughs> restrictions. Right. It's interesting how like, you know, you're we talking about like unlimited resources. I feel like yeah. the TNG era was definitely a bubble. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you, you, it felt like you know nobody was really worried about. Oh, we're, we're going to have plenty of resources for anything that comes right. up. We're not, gonna, we're not worried about replicating anything. But you went from Enterprise where poop became boots to the in, to next gen where it's just raw materials, and then then you're on to Discovery where poop becomes food now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. whole cycle of life, I guess. Yeah, yeah they went from the waste reclamation on like the 24th century shows, but they just never told you what they did with the waste. Yeah. Once they they reclaimed it. It. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But yeah, it makes sense that it would go back into the energy reserves of the Mm -hmm. ship. I mean, when you break it down to individual molecules, like Mm -hmm. that that molecule isn't going to taste like poop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be its own thing. It's, it's, you know, it's hydrogen, it's whatever it is, you know, it's carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen, phosphate. And then, yeah, it it has no taste whatsoever. So you, you wouldn't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's soylent green. And you don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, wow. people. Do they still cremate or bury people, or do they go back into the system? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, that's a thing in our society now too. So yeah, it's a very. And also, I think, and you're, since you're a vegan, Nick, and what Veronica said, I think there's also a very realistic thing about replicated food, which is saving the environment. Because I'm a Texan and I eat beef, but cattle are literally one of the most, you know damaging animals on the face of the earth because of how much land they take. They produce oh, yeah. a lot of methane. So mm-hmm, they're, yeah. they're contributing to global warming. Raising animals is really hard on the planet. Yeah. yeah that's just over, truth. Over 50% of our available land or actually, no, almost 50% of our available land is dedicated to livestock. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and I, you know, people have been thinking about it. I've read some articles like, okay, well, getting ready for the early days of actual human space travel in real life, you know, mm-hmm. what are they going to eat? And they're like, well, you know, we're never, obviously we're not taking cows, we're not taking pigs or yeah. chickens up there. So they're thinking about things like, you know, uh, cloned salmon meat. You know, there's a way like you, you grow it in a vat there. Yeah. You've got the resources, get the basic cells to start it. And then you can just, you know, work on it in, in, in there and, and actually grow things like they like they did in the hydroponics bay in Voyager. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of that is, again, back to what Veronica said, I think that's generational because I, I, I try to be forward looking. But when even when I hear about grown meat in a vat, I have an automatic revulsion to it. I just, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's like the joke you see in yeah. every comedy. You Slaughterhouse is fine. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, everything you've seen from Three Stooges to comedy movies, you know, somebody's eating something that's delicious and then they tell them what it is and then they spit yeah. it out. I'm kind of <laughs> like that with grown meat. You could, If I had it and yeah. it tastes delicious, I'm like, this is great. Where is it? And you're like, oh, I grew in the vat. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other arboretum we don't see. We just see <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's on the meat vats. Those are on level thirty-seven, right? Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about something like that. So, wow. that's the thing about replication. So, okay, so why does Picard therefore have a vineyard? What is the point of it? Is it because it's different it's from what you get? Yeah, food is art. Like just like Joseph's mm. restaurant, you know, he's, yeah. he's making art there. That's the thing he loves to do. He's passionate about it. People <laughs> that work on vineyards choose to do that. Their their basic needs are all taken care of. They don't have to do that. They're not yeah. making extra money for it. Presumably, yeah. might be some kind of like secondary market. They're definitely well sought after. Like it's hard to get the Picard vineyard stuff mm-hmm. for some reason. But it's not because you have to pay for it. It's because it's just hard to get. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's an art to it. There's a, a sense of pride that comes with building something that is sought after by other people and recognized by other people being good. Yeah. I just think that's that's how that's how it works. You know, that just raised an interesting thought, what you said, Nick. OK, so let's say the the average person in the future doesn't know anything about wine. So they replicate wine. And like Chuck said, it's a generic wine and it tastes fine. Then you order a Chateau Picard and it's unique because Picard's tweaked it or the weather was bad. Or I don't know. Maybe he controls the weather mm-hmm. of his vineyard and it has a very mm-hmm. slightly different taste. Are you allowed to replicate a Picard bottle of wine once you get it? And therefore, you basically have have uh, shut Picard out of the market or would the replicator be programmed? Would he get a copyright where you could not replicate Picard wine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's once a you good get, point. Yeah. Once you get that one bottle, you don't need them anymore. That's right. Yeah, but they don't need money, so why would it matter? Well, it's like it's credit, like just like the doctor's novel on uh, the doctor's hollow novel on Voyager. Like he wanted to yeah. have credit; he didn't want that yeah. to be used and taken away from him. Yeah, um, it's just like it's I guess still a name recognition. Would not want would not want it to be made sense. by anybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there will always be people who want the authentic experience, whether yeah. it's better or whether it's not. You know, I mean, there's people mm-hmm. today who are that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so you. So your your Picard's wine might have some weird watermark on it that says actually grown from grapes. And and maybe if you tried to say, I yeah. want a Picard, whatever, the replicator may say copyright infringer, and eh, it won't let you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let you do a Picard bottle. Mm-hmm. Well, just like any of us, if you had a cheese that was imported from Germany, say, mm-hmm. and you're serving it at a cocktail party, you're going to tell people, this cheese is from Germany. You got to try yeah. the cheese from Germany. Yeah. People are like, ooh, the cheese from Germany. It might taste exactly the same. <laughs> but you know, the fact that it's, ooh, yeah. we're having cheese from Germany, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. This is real wine that was grown in a vineyard and aged for however many years. Like, ooh, you know, it, it, yeah. it is it's something special and mm-hmm. finite, whether it's a more than just a copy out of a replicator would be. 
Yeah. It's like, I guess in a way, it's kind of like you can go to an AI art generator and you can get that to generate whatever you want, or you can go to a real artist and that's yes. going to be a whole different experience. Absolutely. But an AI generator is not going to do an exact copy of the Mona Lisa. So you can't hang a Mona Lisa in your office. You know, it's always going to be a little different mm-hmm. now. But when you're talking about replicators in Star Trek, you could have a Mona Lisa all you want. Mm-hmm. With the brush so, strokes and the pigments and everything. Right. So yeah. so where does the origination of artistic expression start and end in a replicator society? Mm-hmm. And how do oh. you monetize it? I know there's no money, but there's got there's credits and there's, yeah. you know, gold press latinum and there's all this other stuff. So you've got to be able to wait, find a way to to monetize this thing where you have produced a a pattern that gets used in other venues and they pay a royalty. I'll throw in something here that I noticed in Picard that it kind of bothers me, but when he's drinking, so he switched to decaf Earl Grey. Um, but if you look at the cheap tea bags, they're Twinings tea bags. So like, okay, <laughs> did, the, did the earth government take over and like, okay, yeah, we'll take Twinings. That'll be in the replicator. <laughs> or is Twinings still out there making tea? Who yeah. knows? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Honestly, actually, like I always thought, twenties was you know mid-level tea. I wouldn't say this is the best tea I've ever had. No, and, 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 growing and, up, so definitely mid-level. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I guarantee you, Patrick That's Stewart you would. Want. I guarantee you, Patrick Stewart would hit you if you served him twinings tea and he saw you coming out with a twinings tea bag because yeah. <laughs> there's been a little controversy just yesterday or so. An American scientist or chemist said she found the secret for the perfect tea, and it's adding a pinch of salt to your tea. And mm. over on BBC, they were kind of they were kind of kind of outraged by it. And the United States government, tongue in cheek, actually issued a formal statement that we're not saying that anybody in America can make tea as good as British people <laughs> right. can. Right. <laughs> Avoid an international <laughs> incident. But there are there are <laughs> chefs. There are chefs that that swear by the fact that if you're doing a confection, if you're doing a dessert or something like mm-hmm. that. A, a slight pinch of salt in your chocolate, in your icing, whatever it is, makes it taste sweeter. It amplifies mm-hmm. the the flavor of whatever it's added to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can believe that. I, I yeah. think that makes sense. I, I frequently add salt to my wine. Salt? I don't. I'm kidding. Just to make it taste more like wine. <laughs> salt is some weird stuff. That. Yeah, like, you know, just my experience, like making black eyed peas, uh, you know, in the Estepile, if you don't use any salt, they get kind of mushy. If you use like a half a teaspoon of salt, they stay together. They keep their little, uh, their jacks, their skins on, we call them jackets, but they keep their little jackets <laughs> on and there's, they cook better. And you don't taste the salt, really. It's not enough to really get into the flavor, but it's enough to affect the chemical composition and it makes it cook better. Mm. Buddy, I knew we were good friends, but I didn't know that you were also a connoisseur of the black eyed pea, which oh. I freaking mm. love. Love them. Love yeah. Them. And they, they make, they cook quickly too. So like, right. you know, some of them are like this one, like black eyed peas are six minutes in the instant pot. Some of them are like 30, 35, 40. It just depends on right. the team. Right. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I have <laughs> never eaten a black eyed pea cooked less than like an hour or two. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then my folks was from the country. So it was old school. And not the gross yeah. out, Nick. So it had to have fat back in it and all that other kind of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Instant pot's like a little time machine. It just compresses time inside of it. <laughs> right. You can get seven minutes. It's like a couple hours on the stove. Right, 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 right. Yeah. All right. So we should all share our favorite recipes for... 
<laughs> like, I'm ready. <laughs> let's let's talk about real food now. <laughs> so one of the things I thought about real quick, because I know we're winding down, is one of the conversations that you see a lot online is people are always asking about replicated stuff in the holodeck. And yeah. one of the big things that comes up is how come when Wesley Crusher threw a snowball, it left the holodeck and it hit Picard, yet some of the characters leave the holodeck and they disappear. And there was even this, this, you know, the Internet is weird. There was this huge debate recently where somebody was arguing, which is what I said when we opened the show, the Moriarty stuffed Dr. Pulaski with crumpets. There are people who literally had serious arguments about when she walked out mm-hmm. that the crumpets disappear. And therefore, could the holodeck be like the ultimate, no offense to anybody who's had this problem, <laughs> the ultimate anorexic or bulimic thing yeah. where you could go in there and eat like crazy and walk out and it all disappears. That's what I'm stomach. saying. That's yeah. totally what I was talking about. I would yeah. say no. I would say the like the food and stuff in a holodeck is just the same as what you get out of a replicator. Yeah. I mean it's mm-hmm. holodecks, mm-hmm. transporters, replicators are all interrelated technologies. Right. So I would yeah. say that the holodeck is replicating the food and the snowball, but it's yeah. creating a yeah. three-dimensional projection that's not going to be stable outside of the emitters for people yeah. because think- you don't want replicated people running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a couple of exceptions. Right. Well, unless you're being I mean, invaded I mean, like by... a couple of exceptions of outside the holodeck. Right. Yeah. Unless you're being invaded by the Herogen or something and you want to instantly have an army. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's true. But Keith, the real answer, I, this is an actual answer to why Wesley threw a snowball and it hit Picard because it's funny. <laughs> that's true that's what a lot of people say that's true. Picard didn't think so no that's true but that's what no, makes no, it funnier that was season one Picard wasn't it yeah he didn't think yeah. anything was funny back then no I hate children <laughs> especially when they throw snowballs <laughs> yeah I think the big thing for, for cooking and eating and, and natural food in star trek is really the community of it the same thing with like yeah. pike does it yes you know it, yes. it's a matter it's yeah. a matter he could just easily get everybody over, over for a replicated meal but he yeah. wants to cook for them and yeah. the food is special to them because he's cooking it for them um mm-hmm. so i mean it's probably the same way with like cisco's restaurant or benjamin cisco or or even the leo root you know it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's that someone took the time to prepare a meal for you yeah. i think is what people are are re- reacting to even if it tastes exactly the same so the only ingredient that replicators can't make is love. I <laughs> 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 love it. <laughs> that's great. Dude, that's an after school special. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so funny. And anti-matter. Uh, <laughs> anti-matter. <laughs> love and anti-matter. Love, anti-matter and living beings. That's all. <laughs> Charles, you make a really good point because in that episode we were talking about earlier with Riker and the eggs, you know, Data, who was strangely, inexplicably clueless in the early Star Trek, you know, he didn't know stuff he should have known. Remember, he even says to something like, Riker, you're aware that the replicator can do all this for us. And Pulaski has to explain to him again, Data's been in Starfleet for 20 years. I don't know why. Remember, Pulaski has to explain to him the coming together to break bread is this old human tradition. And you make a point because uh, Benjamin Sisko had people in his quarters. He cooked for them. And even mm-hmm. in Enterprise, where Captain T- the Captain Archer had a really, really small quarters, he was he often had his officers over for meals. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that is something that hopefully we won't lose as humanity progresses. I hope we don't. Yeah. I also enjoyed the the episode, at least one episode where. Janeway is going to cook a meal for Chakotay and yeah. is not a good cook. 
Yeah. Right. And doesn't quite get anything right. And and I, I I really enjoyed that because, you know, she's a captain. She ain't got time to stand around a stove. She could just mm-hmm. replicate anything she wants. But she took the time to to cook a meal. And I thought that was really cool. Now, the other yeah. side of that is that I don't think any crew person ever really appreciated the fact that Neelix cooked them a home cooked meal every night. That's right. That's true. Because nobody liked just cooking. All day, every day. Yeah. yeah, he was more like the lunch lady. Like you know, or you appreciate the lunch, the lunch ladies are making your meal in the cafeteria. Everyone just right. complains about the meals, but um, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, I mean, I would think, especially in the future, when when the food is so easy, it, I mean, it does mean something for someone to take the time to. Prepare mm-hmm. Hey, and also they've been growing up in a society where food just comes out of a replicator. They don't really have a strong sense of how much value goes into a meal. Yeah, so they don't realize how much he has to do. Only the ones that work in the kitchen with him know how much he has to do to bring that meal together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would think someone like Chakotay would understand because he was evidently raised in, mm-hmm. by their standards, primitive um, cults conditions for a while. So I think he knows how to live off the land. Uh, someone like him, but yeah, other people, and obviously O'Brien does because his mom was still cooking real meat. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? Another another thing that I hadn't thought about before is um Awosakun in in Discovery grew up in a Luddite colony. They did not do technology. They so everything yeah. they cooked would have been cooked from the land, from the environment yes. in which they, they lived. So I wonder how what an I really want to get into her backstory and they're never going to do it on the show. But yeah. I wonder what the adjustments it was for her to get into the Starfleet lifestyle. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think that's curious. a fascinating character study. Yeah, I'm also curious what they would consider a Luddite by the 23rd century. <laughs> like, do they have like laptops and cell phones? And they're like, oh, you're so <laughs> yeah. primitive. Well, this <laughs> guy's know? still on TikTok. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking about also. But you know, that's, uh, that's an interesting idea because um, that was one of the running themes, especially in the original series, the, um, the famous episode... Um, this side of paradise mm-hmm. with, with the spores. Mm. And you see that a lot in the original series. There's always these colonies of people who like, they hate society as it is. And they're trying to find a place where they can get back to the land. And in that episode, Elias Sandoval and people there, they're out there like basically hoeing, the, you know, hoeing the rows in the ground and growing their own food. And there was even that crazy episode of deep space. Nine, that crazy lady, Elixis who artificially oh, yeah. suppressed technology on her planet. Cause she felt that humanity had to get back to the land. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I guess there would always be people who would reject whatever the current society and the technology is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 frequently out there hoeing also, but usually only. I knew that was coming back. I'm glad you did right. <laughs> All right. Well, Nick, thank you very much for joining us today. This has Absolutely. been a lot of fun. Tell folks where they can find more of you. Uh, so I actually do a webcomic at uh, treadingground.com that is coming back in 2024. It was uh, something I did back in the early days of the early 2000s to about mm. 2011. Finished it. Now I'm doing a reboot. Um, everywhere else, you can find me at Nick the Right and Instagram. Uh, I'm on X, but I don't really, you know, I call it X because he's, he's ruined it. Uh, it's no longer Twitter to me. Uh, right. I don't really post there anymore, uh, but I am a Mastodon as well and all the other social medias. So that's, that's where you find me. Nice. How about you, Keith? You can find me on Instagram and X and e- Facebook, primarily the ESNO Network Facebook groups. And how about you, Alan? Well, you could find a couple of other podcasts that I do. One of them is Doctor Who A to Z. And we just recorded an episode 
honoring Tom Baker on not only his 90th birthday, but the 50th anniversary of his debut as Doctor Who. So we have a special episode that'll be coming out tomorrow, assuming that I can get the editing done tonight. <laughs> and my other podcast is Modern Musicology. And we have just passed our, our finished our second year and are into our third year. And we just did an interview with Catherine Yeski Taylor, who has a new book out called She's a Badass, Women in Rock Doing Something with Feminism. Um, <laughs> something that starts with an S. Damn it, I forgot the word. Um, anyway, it's a great interview. We really enjoyed it. So go look for those two things. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. That's right. And if you're in the Atlanta area, we're launching our new show February 25th at the Red Light Cafe called The Felt Nerdy and Dirty Show. Uh, details should be start coming out uh, on that soon uh, now that we're getting closer to February. But you can also see us the day before that, February 24th, at the Valentine's Puck and Puppet Show at the Center for Puppetry Arts. We'll be making a, an appearance there as well. And... Franca, where else can people find us? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? I have one. She does. I like strawberries. <laughs> What's your talent? <laughs> have it your way. Hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh All my right. gosh All everyone right. join us next thursday we'll be we we'll go live on thursdays talking about star trek uh you can find us on youtube or facebook uh, on thursday is at 8 p.m eastern and we'll see you next time take care y'all thank you for listening to earth station trek if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform give us a positive rating you can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com you can join in the fun on our facebook group or follow us on twitter you can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.